Hey listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We all love to eat. Well, I would like to tell you about my friends at the Rib Shack Barbecue on West Bay Drive in downtown Largo. Their menu offers family-sized takeout dinners like delicious ribs, chicken, beef, and pork, or sit-down barbecue dinners, sandwiches, and even desserts. They will also cater your party. Everything is barbecued fresh using real oak for that great smoky flavor. So visit my friends, Corey, Jed, and Kirk at the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 600 West Bay Drive, or call them for a takeout order at 727-501-9090. That's 727-501-9090. They truly have the best smoking barbecue in town. Oh, and be sure and check out their great barbecue sauce. That's the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 727-501-9090. I'm telling Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars sent you. This is Robert from Nostalgic Video and Cars, here to tell you about Bellador's Pizza and Pasta, where the food is fresh, the sauce homemade, and the price is fantastic. They offer Chicago-style stuffed crust pizza, New York-style pizza, calzones, strombolis, pasta entrees, beer one, and great desserts. They even make their bread fresh daily. Hey, they offer catering, and any order over 10 bucks, free delivery. So give them a call at 727-581-5000. Place your order now. They're located at 131 Clearwater Largo Road, near downtown Largo. Or visit their website, belladorspizza.com. All right, pop quiz. Airport, gunman with one hostage. He's using her for cover. He's almost to a plane. You're 100 feet away. What do you think? Shoot the hostage. What? Go for the good wound and he can't get to the plane with her. Clear shot. You're deeply nuts, you know that? All right, gentlemen, what we have here are 13 passengers in an express elevator. Bomb's already taken out cables. Bomber wants $3 million or he blows the emergency brakes. Anything else that'll keep this elevator from falling? Basement. He can strike anywhere at any time. Will the mystery guest please sign in? Why are they messing with me? Do they think I'm doing this for fun? <laughs> for LA cop Jack Traven. Tell me again, Harry, why did I take this job? Come on, 30 more years of this, you get a tiny pension and a cheap gold watch. Cool. The game began. Very exciting, Jack. Some close calls, huh? When someone put the city of Los Angeles to the ultimate test. Pop quiz, hot shot. There's a bomb on a bus. Once the bus goes 50 miles an hour, the bomb is armed. If it drops below 50, it blows up. What do you do? What do you do? Now. Are you insured? Yeah, why? He's the only solution. We just got a ransom demand from your terrorist. Says he's rigged the city bus. Where's Jack? Where do you think? Stay on or get off. Get off. This is much better. Everybody hold on! trigger aimed at your head what do you do what do you do speed get ready for rush hour
Hi everybody, this is David Hobbs, racing driver and speed commentator, and you're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Okay, listeners, welcome. You are tuned in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and I'm your show host, Robert. Run your computers and Google TantalkToking40.com, and you can see us live here in the studio. Really, you can. And uh, be sure to check out our website, GulfstreamMotorsports.com, if you've missed any of our past shows. You can also find that on our website under the Nostalgic Radio and Cars section, where all our podcasts are. Don't forget to like us on Facebook. And... You know what? I think I got one or two T-shirts left. That's it, because we went to a car show this weekend, and I sold a few of them down there. Anyway, Cedric, how you doing? I'm doing, man. You doing good? I got Alan sitting in with me. Hi, Alan. Hi. How you doing today? You know, we should have done. We should have played the theme song to the Simon Templar because do 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 do. Maybe you can find that, and play that a little bit later. The Saint. Yeah, the Saint. Because okay. uh, you know, Alan drives a Volvo, and so matter of fact, the very first time he was on the radio show, we did that. <laughs> you know? Oh yeah. <laughs> I'm in a Fort Worth on my guest tonight. I've got a really bad cold. I'm not sure if it's a cold. I got a cough. And I, and I pulled the muscle the other day, so I'm in terrible pain. So just in case, Alan's going to cover for me, right? Give <laughs> a shot, yeah. Okay. Anyway, hey, what do we got going on this weekend? We got, oh, yes, don't forget. Actually, we have, we're going to have a radio giveaway. So when uh, Cedric gets a chance, we'll have him queue up. Yeah, there we go. Because this weekend in Bradenton, at Bradenton Motorsports Park, is the National Muscle Car Shootout. So I have, for a lucky caller... If you want to give us a call here at the studio, 727-441-3000. That's 727-441-3000. Now, the lucky caller has to be a car guy. We do have priorities around here, and we do like people to get these events, tickets, and use them. Not have them and collect them and let them sit on the shelf. Okay, so the uh, 11th caller, we're going to say 11th because the phones, see, they're lighting up already. Uh... 11th caller, and of course we have a bunch of guys that like to uh, just you know call in because they got our phone number on speed dial. But anyway, it's the 11th caller. You call in, we will give you two free tickets for Saturday and Sunday at Bradenton Motorsports at the National Muscle Car Nationals Shootout. Should be a lot of cars down there. There's supposed to be a swap meet, and hopefully I'll get there early and I'll get some stuff. Also this weekend on uh, Saturday as well is uh, a few weeks ago or a month or so ago we had a, a brother a father and brother of that 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 let me do this real quick okay there we go <laughs> we had a father and son team and uh, they're from Virginia originally but they relocated down to uh, to the Jupiter uh, Palm Beach area and they have a shop down there called <laughs> excuse me <coughs> Bubba's East Coast Rods and Customs now. They're doing a tribute benefit for, they're having a grand opening, and they're also doing a charity fundraiser for uh, the Burt Reynolds Institute of Film and Theater. So uh, that's this Saturday. So I'm going to probably be there on Saturday and the muscle car thingy on Sunday. Also this weekend, look at all this stuff's on the same day. Drives me nuts sometimes. Uh, Also on Saturday, for all you guys that know that I'm an old school hot rodder, Billetproof is having their annual event at Don Garlitz. So there's probably going to be five, 600 really cool old-school hot rods. It's Saturday. Billetproof. Go check out the website, billetproof.com. And there's a bunch of really cool stuff. Our friend Alan Galebreath uh, is the uh, promoter and organizer of Billetproof, of all the Billetproof events, and they're around the country. But they, uh, they're they based out of Sacramento, California. They do two events here in Florida. They do the one in uh, this weekend, which is at Don Garlitz. It's a big car show swap meet thing. And, I mean, there's really a lot of cars, plus a good swap meet. And then in the fall, usually like around, uh, I don't know, October, maybe something like that, they do an event 
kind of like a nostalgia drags over at the Lakeland International, or what used to be the Lakeland International Raceway. It's called Lakeland Motorsports Park now. Alan's looking at me like, duh, I don't know. Uh, Actually, my son. I still go by Golden Triangle, you know. (laughs) (laughs) That's Tampa, wasn't it? Uh, That was the old Twin City, yeah. Twin City. Oh, God, yeah. That's, yeah, yeah. You know, that's where I, I actually did my first drag race. In 1973, was up at uh, Twin City on my ranchero. And what was funny, they pitted me against a, um, I'll never forget, it was a 440-69B body. So it was a probably Roadrunner or Satellite or something like that. And uh, he's sitting in there, totally focused. My first time out of the box on the strip, right? And all I hear is boom, boom, right? And, I'm, and I, it was the old school Christmas tree. So here, his car was a four-speed and my car was a four-speed because, you know, back in those days, everybody was running four-speed. But I was running 411s in my Ranchero, I think, at the time. Just a basic 351 Cobra jet, you know, nothing fancy or anything like that. Headers, carburetor intake, stuff. And uh, he beat me out of the hole. I ran a 14, mid-14s. Pretty pathetic, really. I mean, my power shifting was fine, but I just didn't get out of the hole. You know, launching the car is the big deal. But anyway, Alan, tell us about your little, uh, you got a little gig going on this weekend, don't you? Another yeah. car show. Another car on sh- Saturday, of course. This Saturday, uh, from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m., St. Andrew's Presbyterian Church, that's in Dunedin. It's on Michigan Boulevard between Canyon Road 1 and Alterton 19. And the special interest show cars. The registration is 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. There's music and food, door prizes given away, and dash plaques for the first 90 cars. Registration is free. The actual address is 705 Michigan Boulevard in Dunedin. It's presented by Lightning Racing Oil, and there's plenty of truck and trailer parking for show cars and race cars, so if you got to bring something on the trailer, there's plenty of room to park. And Lightning Racing Oil's division of Lightning Connecting Rods, they'll have the top alcohol dragster on display, and they will start it up. So it'll oh, be really? A little bit, yeah, it'll be a little, little bit cool. noisy. It's a yeah. new Hemi they got. I think it's a 526 cubic inch Hemi with like a zillion and a half horsepower. Oh, and, yeah? Yeah. And so they're going to start it up and demonstrate it. So there'll be a bunch of people there show up. It's for a good cause. It's for the church. And, Super. Yeah, it's Saturday from 10 to 3, and however long anyone stays after that. Well, now, this is, what, the second or third time they've done this? Fourth time. Fourth I think time. it was the fourth time. Yeah, it says fourth annual right here, so that's a clue. Okay. Yeah. Are they going to have a burnout contest or anything like that? Um, yeah, there's three stoners from Dunedin High in 1979. Class of will be there. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Cedric, we got anything on the turn up table going yeah, around we got some and Doobie around? Brothers. We got Doobie Brothers. Yeah, this is uh, from uh, one of their more recent albums. I think this album's from like uh, 2001. Yeah, it's got uh, pretty much most of the original band members, right? It's yeah, got. Yeah. Uh, Tom, Tom Johnson, uh, Pat Simmons, and who's the guitarist that joined him in like 1980? He's been there with them for a long time. Ah, uh, I can I can picture him, but I can't think of his yeah. name offhand right now. I, I was very lucky. I got a chance to see those guys out in California about uh, six months ago. Did an excellent job, and they will be here in concert at Ruth Eckert Hall. I think the end of May. So be sure and check out the Doobie Brothers concert. Let's. This song's called what? Dangerous, right? Dangerous. Since we're all talking about cars and racing, you know, it's kind of an appropriate song, don't you think, Alan? I bet oh, the, I'm safer on the track than I am on the highway. The name is John McPhee. John, John McPhee. McPhee. Yeah, okay, no. cool. All right. And they got a new bassist, too. Yep. Yeah, he did a pretty good job. Anyway, hey, you're tuned into Nostalgic Radio and Cars. There's a little Doobie Brothers. Dangerous.
listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We all love to eat. Well, I would like to tell you about my friends at the Rib Shack Barbecue on West Bay Drive in downtown Largo. Their menu offers family-sized takeout dinners like delicious ribs, chicken, beef, and pork, or sit-down barbecue dinners, sandwiches, and even desserts. They will also cater your party. Everything is barbecued fresh using real oak for that great smoky flavor. So visit my friends, Corey, Jed, and Kirk at the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 600 West Bay Drive, or call them for a takeout order at 727-501-9090. That's 727-501-9090. They truly have the best smoking barbecue in town. Oh, and be sure and check out their great barbecue sauce. That's the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 727-501-9090. I'm telling Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars sent you. This is Robert from Nostalgic Video and Cars, here to tell you about Bellador's Pizza and Pasta, where the food is fresh, the sauce homemade, and the price is fantastic. They offer Chicago-style stuffed crust pizza, New York-style pizza, calzones, strombolis, pasta entrees, beer one, and great desserts. They even make the bread fresh daily. Hey, they offer catering, and any order over 10 bucks, free delivery. So give them a call at 727-581-5000. Place your order now. They're located at 131 Clearwater Largo Road, near downtown Largo. Or visit their website, belladorspizza.com. This is Brian Redman, retired racing driver, nine times racing champion, still racing at 76, and you're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Okay, we're back, and yes, you are tuned into Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Hey, a big shout-out to my friends at Cop Cars Online. You know, if you need a cool squad car, they got a lot of uh, Tahoes down there now. Give them a call, 727-536-2677. That's 727-536-2677. And, of course, if you need your car worked on or your boat... That's uh, an inboard, outboard, inboard, outboard, no outboards, just an inboard, outboard, with a V8, basically, preferably. Give my friends down at uh, Forte's Inboard and Auto Connection a call, 727-544-6440. That's 727-544-6440. And don't forget, today, yes, well, it's not Rib Shack Wednesday anymore, it's Rib Shack Tuesday. So naturally, I stopped by my good friends up there at the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 501-9090, 501-9090, and had myself some pig and cow. Can I say that? That's moo. Moo. <laughs> Big oink oink. Anyway, but they got some great beef and they got some great pork. And let's see, tomorrow's Wednesday. You know what I'm going to do tomorrow? Tomorrow I'm going to go to my other good buddy, and that is Mark and his crew down there at Belladora's Pizza. It's 581 5000. 581 5000. Belladora's Pizza. They truly, I mean it, I mean it, I mean it, I mean it, I mean it. They got great pizza. Anyway, Alan, so what have you been up to? Uh, nothing much, just working. You know, How's the Volvo coming? <laughs> Here I go. <laughs> okay, I'll fill it. Yeah, I've been working on it. And, um, of course, you know, the car's got AC under dash air, and it was getting in my way and everything, too, you know, too tight. So, anyway, so I'm using a, the air AC outlet off a of 63 Thunderbird, mounting it into a plenum and everything. So it's going to be on the top of the transmission tunnel, back a little bit behind the dash somewhat, so it matches the Thunderbird-y looks of the gauges. Of the... Yeah, which is one of the car magazines mentioned the interior looked Thunderbirdy. Really? So I figured 50 years later, yeah, it still is. So I use this um, AC vent assembly. I got a, a, a Princess Grace car, by the way, it's number 741. Uh-huh. Yeah, I, I don't remember anything important, you know. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and um, this thing was laying around. I've had it since 75. Hmm. Yeah. Well, what was that thing I was looking at the other day when I was over there? You had something, was it a radio or something you put in there? Some old vintage? What was laying on the. Oh, oh, that was just an old. Volvo radio, like oh okay, it's an AM FM from. It's about from '68. The car is '65, but I might have enough to put an old radio in just for looks and 
have something underneath the dash. You know, a couple of weeks ago when we had Wayne Carini on, you were sitting in on that show, and we were talking about you know cars, and we were talking about the Queen Mary, you know, the 69, yeah. uh, 70, Ferrari 365. Queen Mother. The Queen Mother, Queen Mary, yeah, whatever it's called. Yeah. It's, it's Queen a Mother? quicker. It handles better than the Queen Mary, but not much. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, but anyway. 4,000 so pounds. When I was up at Amelia, I bumped into this guy, had a, uh, set, a 81 Ferrari 400i, but it was an automatic car. And Uh I got to tell you, I kind of like those cars. They're kind of growing on me. And right now, they're in the twenty dollars to $25,000 range. Right. Four-speed, five-speeds are a little bit more. They're pushing closer to thirty. And I was talking to a friend of mine in in West Palm Beach, and he's got a um, 512 with a five-speed in it, which is extremely rare. So like an 86 model? Same page. The body style came out in what? 73, 4, 5? Right after the GTC. Yeah. Or the... Well, that yeah, was G- um, it was a 365 when it first came out. It was a 365 it was carbureted. Right. It was carbureted, yeah. And then they became, they got injected. They had two separate injection systems to the left and the right head side of the engine, and it was mechanical injection. Two of everything. Was it a German injection? Was it Bosch or was it something else? Ah, probably it was a CIS, so it'd be Bosch. Okay. Yeah. But anyway, those are pretty cool cars. You know, we were talking about, you know, what to buy. You know, obviously, we've narrowed it down to your Volvo P1800s or <laughs> 1800s, and if you got a few more coins in your pocket you know obviously the 400i i think is going to take off and even the 308s as much as i'm not a big fan of yeah. 308s they're starting to grow on me now and i guess it's because of the nostalgia thing i well, mean well the 308 it's got a good design to it you it know. does it's the a design good goes car. back to like what 75 or something i think yeah. it showed it to geneva first time you know as long as it's not a fiero based uh, uh 308 that was that was a slap the ferrari wasn't it that's a fiero based um 308, it's not exactly proportion. It's like looking at a 308 in a funhouse mirror, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Good analogy. I like that. I like yeah. that. So, you know, because I'm perplexed, because, you know, I mean, you know, last or two weekends ago when I was up there at a million, I was just looking at all these cars, and sometimes it just gets so overwhelming, you know, because the, the topic is, because everybody's so consumed with this, is what to buy, what to buy. I want to get in on the market. Well, obviously, your muscle cars, if you can buy them cheap, but you got to be good, good, good quality stuff and not rehashed crap. But or, or uh, clones. But really, yeah. it's 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 pretty much dominated by foreign cars, wouldn't you say? Yeah, but the thing is, buy what you want. Don't buy what someone else says. Oh, you got to buy this because you buy true. something you don't want. It's like being married to a woman you don't want. You know, it's just like you're there and you're stuck. Yeah, you got to get rid of it, and it's going to cost you money. It's going to cost you money. That's a good point. <laughs> so, hey, what do we got? Uh, we got a commercial, and then we got a very very interesting guest, a an alumni guest, very well known gentleman. So uh, we're going to take a commercial. We're going to. Play some more music and a little clip, and we'll be right back. So stick around. You're tuned into Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Hi, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. If you like to play golf, Magnolia Valley Golf Club is offering some specials this week. Give them a call up there at 727-847-2342. They have a 9-hole executive course, and they have an 18-hole par 72. And they've got great food on the 19th hole. So call my friend Pete at 727-847-2342. Four two, and be sure to tune in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars Wednesdays at seven p.m.
looking for normality. And what did your wife say when she saw your face? She said, don't need a face to drive, you just need the right foot. I feel responsible for what happened. Watching you win those races while I was fighting for my life, you were equally responsible for getting me back in the car. 42 days after his near-fatal accident, Nicky Lauda will race here today. fear of death is the will to win. Hi, this is Vic Elford, probably best known as being an original rally driver and one of the first to actually tame the Porsche 917. You're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Okay, we're back, and yes, thank you, Mr. Vic Alford. We are listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and it's time to introduce our special guest for the evening. This gentleman has been on my show before. He's a friend of mine. He's probably best recognized as a former commentator on Speed Channel. You see him all the time on all the Barrett-Jackson shows. He's the host of Barrett-Jackson, and now he's moved to Fox Sports. I'm delighted to welcome to the show this evening, Bob Varsha. Bob, welcome to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Thanks, Robert. Nice to be back with you. So you got to experience Sebring this weekend. How was it? Well, Sebring is one of my favorite places and favorite races uh, on the face of the earth. Uh, that said, it was frankly a little bit of a sloppy race. There were some uh, there was some questionable driving out there that led to some big accidents, and um, the series has a bit of a cumbersome sort of uh, yellow flag safety car protocol that took up a lot of time. We spent more than five hours behind the safety car under a yellow flag, but when the racing was going on, it was terrific, and I think the the real takeaway from the whole thing is the fact that the IMSA technical staff 
really have hit the balance of performance just about on the nose right now. There will be sort of an ebb and flow among the cars from the old Rolex Grand Am series and the cars from the old Tequila Patron American Le Mans series. But I think from what we saw at Sebring with representatives of each of those classes running strongly in competition with each other, I think that bodes well for the future of the series. Um, if Did I read it correctly? There was only four classes. There's Prototype, Prototype Challenge, uh, GT Le Mans, and GT Daytona. Is that is that what they narrowed Absolutely. it down to? You're right. Yep, right on the button. Okay, now I also heard that since Daytona, and here it is a month and a half later, or less, um, that there was a number of rule changes that really confused a lot of drivers, What was or race teams. What was that all about? Well, that's the process of balance of performance, you know, and when you think of just about any form of racing, everybody runs under the same rule book. But in sports car racing, and particularly in what is now the IMSA Tudor Championship, you've got four, six, eight, ten, and twelve cylinder engines, you've got turbo and normally aspirated, you've got diesel and gas powered cars, you've got open cockpit cars and coupes with roofs on them. So you have this tremendous diversity, which is really one of the charms of sports car racing, going back to the very beginning, when Cobra battled Ferrari, battling Porsche, and so on. Uh, but, you know, all those different forms of, uh, of, of race car have to be able to race on a relatively level playing field. And that's where you need the engineering minds to come in and, and figure out by restricting the fuel they carry or restricting the power of the engines or restricting... And I don't mean restricting, but boosting one or reducing the other in order to allow the cars a level playing field. And as I said, I think the uh, IMSA people, uh, Scott Elkins and his staff, have have done a terrific job because uh, we saw that competitiveness at Sebring when we were under green. I didn't get a chance to watch the whole race. I just watched bits and pieces of it. But it seemed like Mm -hmm. Turn 17 had a lot of activity this time. There was a lot of cars getting wadded up there. So what happened exactly? It always does. Uh, That turn 17 is the bridge turn. It's extremely bumpy, which is what Sebring is famous for and why all the big teams around the world come there to test, because if you can survive Sebring, you can survive anywhere. Um, Turn 17, turn 1, and turn 7, the hairpin, are really the, the signature corners at Sebring. That's where the fans gather, and that's where most of the action takes place. We saw a couple of of incidents at turn 1, a couple at the hairpin, and as you point out, a couple at 17 as well. It, it, it's a real challenge, and I think that's part of its charm, part of the reason I love it so much. Or, As Porsche factory driver Patrick Long from California says, the things you hate about Sebring are the things you love about Sebring. You know, it's interesting, too, because I also heard some commentary and and um, that a lot of the teams, domestic, you know, in the United States and in uh, Europe, come over to Sebring and test at Sebring. To prepare for Le Mans? Yep. Really? Before, uh, before this year's 12 hours, Sebring is a very busy racetrack for just that reason. There are driving schools and testing and commercial shoots and all these things going on. But before the, uh, the, the Tudor Championship rolled in for Sebring Week, uh, Porsche was there testing its new LMP1 prototype for Le Mans. And Audi was there testing, as they, they have for years and years and years. Audi brings their LMP1 machinery to Sebring and pounds around for 20, 30 hours, whatever they think is appropriate to, uh, to, to prove the technology of their cars for the 24 hours of Le Mans in June. Now, the LMP is Le Mans prototype, correct? Correct. 
And that car's not legal in the U.S., though, is it? That's right. Those are the extremely high-technology, premier sports cars, mostly hybrids running around the world right now. Toyota has a project. Uh, There are a couple of privately funded projects. It's just a class that's so difficult to compete in that you don't get the kind of car count you get for a, for a real honest-to-goodness race. Uh, those cars will race in the World Endurance Championship. They will race at Le Mans. But the feeling in the Tudor Championship was the last year of the American Le Mans Series, they only had maybe two or three cars in that class because nobody could afford to compete with the factories. And, um, and so as a result, they decided to go with the LMP2 category cars, the open cockpit carbon fiber cars, still a lot of technology and some really, really interesting mechanical lineups. But the, uh, they chose to race them against what we used to know as Daytona prototypes from the Rolex Grand Am series. Now, speaking of the Daytona prototype, they just came out with a new car, and I see Canassi had a little struggle at Daytona, but this year he won. Or this month, this, well, this, he won this weekend, right? Yes, they had, they're, they're using uh, existing technology as far as the chassis goes. But it's the power plant that was new. Ganassi had switched from his former Dynan BMW V8s to Ford's new V6 turbo, twin-turbo EcoBoost engine. And, uh, yes, they did have a lot of trouble with it at Daytona and suffered for that, as well as, you know, not, not I don't mean to put it all on the engine, because they had trouble in the pits. They had mechanical issues. They were It was a very un-Ganassi-like race, because they are right up there with the Penske boys when it comes to being prepared. But uh, they worked really hard. They were, uh, had it, you know, the six extra weeks to get ready for Sebring. And there the engine just came through beautifully. And uh, both Ganassi cars finished. Both were in the mix. The Michael Shank car, which is the only other car to use that engine, finished a little bit further back. But, uh, yeah, it, it came good and hopefully will remain so as we go forward. Now, is this car European? Is this car Le Mans legal? No, it is not. The, the Daytona prototypes are not legal for Le Mans. Okay. Although the uh, the LMP2 cars they race against are uh, with certain modifications. Okay. Now the prototypes are they also open cockpit or like the LMP ones or and the LMP or is it just the LMP2s that are open? Just the LMP2s. The Daytona prototypes are all coupes. Okay. As many of the LMP1 cars were as well. In fact, off the top of my head, I can't think of. Well, I can't think of. Uh, there is an Orica chassis, a French chassis, using right. Nissan power for Greg Pickett's Muscle Milk team. Right. Um, and they're coming on strong. They, they didn't have a good race at Daytona. didn't have a great one at, at Sebring, it must be said. They were actually extended an invitation to race at Le Mans, but turned it down because they don't think their package is quite where it needs to be yet to be competitive. But uh, it'll be exciting at Le Mans this year. And you can be sure that the ACO, which puts that race on, is watching very carefully what happens here in the United States with this new formula for sports car racing. Well, wasn't that the 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 goal was to consolidate uh, Grand M and the American Le Mans Series so that they could race the cars mm-hmm. in Europe? Well, not so much to race the cars in Europe, but to put on a good show for fans here in the United States. Okay. Uh, you know, oh. uh, IMSA shares ownership with NASCAR and the AMA. And, uh, you know, they, they in the spirit of the original IMSA, which was founded by John Bishop back in the uh, in the early 70s. The idea is to put on a good show and promote a lot of participation, a lot of car count, make the sport accessible to, uh, to a well-heeled enthusiast who just likes to go race but isn't necessarily a professional driver. Uh, and that's why the Daytona prototypes use a sort of a space frame tube chassis 
uh, as opposed to the uh, the high tech carbon fiber, the LMP2 cars. It's very much a medium to very different philosophies where it comes to design and performance. And, and and again, that's part of its charm. If you like cars, there's something for everybody in the Tudor Championship. The uh, GT Le Mans class, okay, those cars. Now, price-wise, to maintain one of those and, and team support, are they about the same as the Daytona prototype, or is the Daytona prototype a little bit more costly? The, the prototypes will be more costly. Uh, the, the GT LM cars, uh, personally, I think GT racing is the future of sports car racing. That was the case back in the in the 60s and 70s and the 50s, for that matter. And I think it will be again, because the GT Le Mans class, and those cars are literally Le Mans legal, uh, are basically all factory efforts. The SRT Vipers, Porsche has its first ever North American dedicated factory team run out of Core Auto Sports in Rock Hill, South Carolina. Um, there are... Um, factory Ferraris out there. There is a privately entered Ferrari in the hands of Tracy Crone and another from uh, Giuseppe Ricci out of Houston. Uh, but all those cars, the Corvettes, Corvette racing, of course, is a factory effort. So you're really looking at the, at the sharp end of the stick in terms of GT cars when it comes to the GT Le Mans class. GT Daytona is a little bit more cost-effective, uh, and as a result, that class is by far the biggest out there. I believe we had about 20 Five to 27 cars in GT Daytona, as opposed to about a dozen in GT Le Mans. The WeatherTech Porsche, um, you know, mm-hmm. Alex Job's car, is that, that's GT Le Mans, isn't it? That is GT Daytona. Oh, that's Daytona? Okay. Right. All right. Now, you mentioned the Reese car. The Reese car is the one that backed into the, in turn one there and the tire pile. And then when he came back out on the track, he got in front of the Momo car. What exactly happened there? Well, I, I, I hesitate to speculate. The driver of that car for Risi was Matteo Magicelli, who finished second in class last year. He was involved in that massive wreck in the Rolex 24, in which his car, which was suffering uh, engine problems and was stopped at the track side, was hit by the Daytona prototype of Memo Gidley. That was the one hit in the rear when on right. the infield? That massive, yeah, okay. that, that literally punted the Ferrari high in the air. Mattichelli had only minor injuries, and he was back racing again at Sebring. Gidley is still in a rehabilitation center out in San Francisco. We spoke with him over the phone during our broadcast. But um, Mattichelli took a big hit uh, and was mildly concussed. And and I I literally can't explain why he did what he did. He spun uh, sidelong into the tire wall at turn one, which is a very fast corner. And then when he got it going again, perhaps just in his rushed to try to make good by getting the car back to the pits. As you point out, he pulled out right in front of traffic and was hit by several cars, but most seriously by the GT Daytona-class Porsche 911 driven by a Danish female driver named Christina Nielsen. And uh, you know, both cars were basically finished on the spot. That was unfortunate. Yeah, I mean, that looked pretty wicked there. Um, of course, not as bad as... Uh the number 52 car and the 38 car in uh, in turn 17. That was was that probably the worst crash during the race? Um, probably. Those were what we call prototype challenge cars. That's a spec class. All the cars are, are high tech carbon fiber, but they use a crate Chevy V8 engine. They all run on the same tires, and the cars are all very heavily restricted. So it's a pretty cost effective prototype class. <clears throat> As such, you get a lot of what they call pro-am drivers, guys who have a little bit of history in the sport, who love it, and who are willing to pay a lot of money to, to drive in a uh, in a race like the Tudor Championship. So 
unfortunately, you occasionally get some some um, a gap in driver talent. Let us say now in that situation, the, the wreck you're talking about was two very good young drivers. David Ostella from Canada just got bounced wide coming off of the tunnel turn, uh, the bridge turn, I should say, turn 17, and got into the tire wall on the outside of the corner uh, as he was trying to straighten up for the front straightaway. And that happens a lot at Sebring. In this case, unfortunately, he bounced back onto the track directly into the path of the similar car of Frankie Montecaldo, who hit him amidships and you know, debris everywhere. And both drivers walked away, but uh, it, it put us under one of, 11 yellow flags, which uh, which got a little bit tedious after a while. Well, it seemed like in the first, what, four or five hours, there was like seven wrecks, which is unusual for Sebring, isn't it? Oh, yeah, we had those wrecks. The longest yellow flag of all came when one of the GT Daytona-class Vipers, in fact, the only one in the field, uh, caught fire. Um, there was a problem. It broke a drive shaft piece, and the driver, Ben Keating, who was a very good driver, was unaware of the damage it was doing, and as he tried to go through the real fast right-hand sweeper at turn six, um, it caught fire. And by the time he could get it stopped, shut it off, and get out, um, it was a real conflagration. And so it took him a while to put that out. Uh, I don't know if the fuel pump was still running or something, but the fuel, the fire kept getting fed, so as soon as they could knock it down, it would spring back up again. Um, they finally got it out of the way, and with surprisingly little damage to the racetrack, and everybody will think of Juan Pablo Montoya hitting the jet dryer at Daytona a couple <laughs> of years ago. Um, you know, it, we were back underway, but at that point we lost almost exactly an hour, which again was unfortunate. Jeez. Have they made any significant improvements to the track? I mean, the track at one point in time was, what, close to five miles long. Now it's, what, three and a half, three and three quarters? Yeah, they originally chopped it down a little bit because the original five-mile layout used the actual runways of the airport, so they had to shut the airport down in order to run the race. That, it was determined, was uh, was not sustainable, so they, um, they they changed the route slightly, chopped about three-quarters of a mile off the track, and got off of the runways so they could leave the airport open um, while running the race. There have been a few small modifications to uh, to, to improve safety, but the key thing was, they kept the character of the track intact, and and again, that's part of its charm. You know, when you're when you're on those concrete taxiways of the old Hendricks Field, a B-17 bomber training base in World War II, that's the same concrete that Fangio and Sterling Moss and Dan Gurney and Mario Andretti and Jackie Ixon, all those great drivers through the '62 now runnings of this race, have all run on that same. Surface. I mean, you can go to Indianapolis, but they've repaved that. You can go to Daytona, but they've repaved that. They haven't repaved Sebring. What you see is exactly what you would have seen if you were in that very first race on those runways back in New Year's Eve of 1950. And that, again, is, is part of its charm. There's very little runway spectator amenities. It's a very tough week for the teams who uh, have to bring everything to this uh, to this very, very Spartan racetrack. But again, it's got that quality of, of just wringing the neck of every car that's driven on it at speed, and you really find out what you've got when you're when you're racing at Sebring. Now, since that's a 12-hour race, most of the teams have, what, two drivers at least, in some cases three drivers, correct? Well, it's actually three drivers, and some use four. Four is the maximum for a 12-hour race under the rules. You can have five for a 24-hour race, such as the Rolex 24 at Daytona. You must have at least three. Now, back in the day, you would do it with two. But uh, but that was changed 
many years ago. So now most teams will have three, particularly the real professional teams. And the, um, the teams that are out there basically uh, selling seats and running their race cars as a business for, for enthusiast drivers, uh, you'll see four. Okay. Now, you, you mentioned earlier, you know, we talked about the classes, okay, because you had the Prototype, Prototype Challenge, GT Le Mans, and the GT Daytona. Now, back in the old days, there was a lot of small-bore cars, and it was relatively affordable for the average Joe that ran SCCA that wanted to step it up a notch and go, you know, mm-hmm. run Daytona or Sebring or, you know, Laguna or Road America or something like that. Do you ever think that we'll have more classes for, for, for lower-powered cars? Or do you well, think we're, they're kind of complacent where they're at right now and this seems to work? You no, know, I think we'll actually have fewer classes. I really? think there's a pretty pretty strong sentiment that there needs to be one prototype and one GT class. And I'm speaking only for myself here. Okay. Um, <clears throat> I think uh, there is a sentiment that uh, sports car endurance racing is a little too complicated for the average fan. So they would like to simplify it a bit. Now, you mentioned some very small cars uh, used to run in the race. Um a lot of that was simply because that's all, that's what there was out there. You know, mm-hmm. car count in a race like this is important. You have to be able to attract a, a, a sufficient field to be able to sell tickets to come watch them. So the earliest races in the 12 hours used what uh, Le Mans originated as what's called the uh, Index of Thermal Performance, which is a somewhat complicated little formula by which they would take the displacement of your engine and the distance you covered and the amount of fuel you used to cover that distance, much like the Michelin Green Challenge that we see in, uh, in racing these days. And, and, and a car with a very small displacement could be the winner. In fact, the winner of the very first race at Daytona, a six-hour, was a... Um, Crosley, wasn't it? Was no, a Crosley, no, yeah. No, yeah. Uh, but a couple of very clever guys looked at the Crosley and saw that it was three-quarters of a liter, basically had a big motorcycle engine in it, and they looked at the rules on the index of thermal performance, and they said, you know what, this car could win the race. So they got out, they convinced the owner to let him take the car, and they got out a paintbrush and painted a number on the thing, and away they went, and they won. So, you know, it's, it's there, are, uh, there are so many great stories about what's gone on in Sebring down through the years. But, you know, things like the running Le Mans start where the drivers sprint across the racetrack, hop in their car, that's long gone. The index of performance is long gone. And it's more of a, a straight-up uh, challenge among uh, teams and drivers from the sublime to the ridiculous, you might say. <laughs> and uh, and, it's, and it's, it's good fun. And, of course, the crowd is a big part of Sebring. Seventy-five to one hundred thousand people just out there partying hardy, having a good time. Tell us how the point system works because they break that down. What every three hours or something like that? They're allocated points. How does that work? Well, that Sebring, uh, Daytona, the six hours at Watkins Glen, and the ten-hour Petit Le Mans at the end of the season are part of a four-race series within the series called the Tequila Patron North American Endurance Cup. It's fifty-two hours of racing over those four events, and as you point out, during certain increments of the race. Uh, every four hours, uh, no, every six hours at Daytona, uh, every four hours at Sebring, and at similar increments at Watkins Glen and Road Atlanta, they award points to the cars finishing first through fifth. And so there will be a special award fund of $100,000 to the prototype winners and $50,000 to the GT winners um, for the teams that perform best in the uh, Endurance Cup in those four races. Totally apart from that is the regular season championship, which goes from 35 points to a win for a win down to about 15 um, for finishing 
uh, at the back of your respective class. It kind of depends. It's a sliding scale depending on how many cars are in the race in your class. But uh, there is a separate season-long points championship for drivers, manufacturers, and teams that is distinct from the Tequila Patron for race North American Endurance Cup. They started out with, what, a field of 62, 3, 4 cars, something like that? I think we started, yeah, we had uh, about 65 entries, and we wound up with 63 starters, which was 20 more than the average field in uh, in Sebring over the last 10 or 15 years. So, uh, you know, so the, the effect of the combined championship and the uh, the the approval uh, of the rule book was, was pretty evident. There were a lot of cars in all four classes. Do they? Do you have to qualify for Sebring? Like no. You, no. Okay. No. No. Well, I mean, you know, you go through the entry process, and somebody's going to take a look at your entry, but um, it, it, it's a fairly low bar in terms of actually getting in the race. Now, once you you know line up to to the race, you have to qualify to find your position in the field. Right. But you don't have to qualify just to turn up at, at Sebring and race. All right, now compared to Daytona, what's the field at Daytona? About the same amount of cars, or is it closer to 70, 75 cars? Yeah, we had about 60, what do we have at Daytona? 67, 68. Okay. Yeah. Now, Le Mans, how many cars do they have in the Le Mans? They run 56 cars, including the special one-off class that's called Garage 56. The promoters at Le Mans invite a, a one-of-a-kind car that demonstrates really unique and original and advanced technology using things like hydrogen power. Last year, the Delta Wing was the Garage 56 car. And that's basically there as sort of a demo run to show people that you can you can do amazing things with the automotive technology of the day. But there are 55 regular starters in the four classes at Le Mans, five classes at Le Mans. Speaking of which, the Delta Wing, I didn't see it there this year. It was there. Was it? It was there and actually ran pretty strongly for a while. Then, uh, and, and kind of had to go to the garage for a bit. Came out. I don't know exactly where it finished, but it was out there and it has its own little rules package to, uh, to, um, to, to try to promote that sort of alternative technology. It must have been just a beast to drive around a place like Sebring, but it's got a bit more power than it had in the past, a bit smaller fuel tank, which is unfortunate because it doesn't have to pit very often, a bit like the turbo diesels from Mazda uh, and the Speed Source team. I mean, they only made about nine pit stops, I think, in the entire race. Well, everybody else probably made something on the order of 15. What's your thoughts on that, the design of that car, and what do you think the future is of it? Uh, the diesel? No, the uh, Delta Wing. Oh, the Delta Wing. Mm-hmm. Um, boy, I don't know. Um, it is radical. <laughs> we'll say that. Um you know, I really don't know. I guess the market will speak for itself. Uh, you'll need a bunch of them before it will have a class of its own, uh, if, in fact, it ever does. It's um, it's a lot to take on board. It's certainly a wonderful exercise in technology, I'll say that. Uh, what Ben Boldy, its original designer, envisioned was originally to be a Speedway IndyCar when they were casting about for a new design. So it wasn't meant to be a, a sports endurance race car. Um, it was meant to go fast around uh, around ovals, and um, when converted to its uh, to its current use, it was an open cockpit car. Now, none of the original folks involved in the design and construction of the car are still with it. Uh, Don Panos has taken it over, and he is trying to build those cars in his shops in Brazelton, Georgia. 
It is now a coupe with a bubble top, and it's a, it's a radical machine, no doubt about it. But whether it's the wave of the future or not is still way too early to tell. Wasn't that car originally conceived, or at least built, in uh, Dan Gurney's shop, uh, All-American Racers in California? Yes, Dan Gurney's All-American Racers built the, the prototype. They built okay. the, the mock-ups for engineering studies and so forth. I'm not sure if the, the final race car was built there or not. But, but yeah, Dan had a, had a big role in that, which is cool. You were at the uh, races the whole weekend. Did you watch the sports car challenge? I did. I watched pretty much just about everything that was going on out there that weekend. It was a very busy weekend at Sebring. So what are your thoughts on the sports car challenge? Do you think that's kind of like, uh, you know, maybe a throwback to Trans Am? On the Continental Tire Series? Yeah. <laughs> well, no. Trans Am cars, you know, have, are basically purpose-built race cars. These are, are street-based cars that harken back to the old Firestone Firehawks. Oh, okay, right. And racing at Sebring back in the, in the mid-'80s. Um, and they put on quite a show. I mean, there's some there's some pretty cool cars out there, um, but no, it's 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 not quite Trans Am level stuff. You think we can use a Trans Am class? Wasn't there discussions about that? Um, I don't know. Now there is a Trans Am series. I mean, the uh, SEC Pro Racing is once okay. again running a revival of the Trans Am with a couple of different classes. Uh, you can find them on the internet. Uh, I think they have already raced at Sebring this year. John Claggett, who used to be one of the key um, marketing people at Sports Car Club of America is running the organization. And um, they get a pretty good turnout. They get big fields. And um, I haven't seen any of the races, but I'm sure they're they're a good show. Okay. So now that you made the move to Fox Sports, tell us a little bit about uh, what else you got going on. Are, are you going to be doing, uh, obviously, the, the GT races? Are you going to be doing covering anything else? Well, you know, my so-called move to Fox Sports is basically just the rebranding of what was once known as Speed, which happened okay. last August. Fox has owned us since uh, 2001, <coughs> and uh, and last year they decided to rebrand us as an all-sports network, including basketball, baseball, you name it, a lot of college sports. And as a result, there's been sort of a, a, a diminution of the amount of motorsports on there. Well, you still got a lot of good stuff between the Tudor and Continental Series and MotoGP, which I'll be doing this weekend for the season opener in Qatar. Uh, we still have the 24 Hours of Le Mans. We still have Supercross. We still have a lot of NASCAR. But uh, my primary responsibilities are the Barrett-Jackson auctions, the uh, IMSA, two IMSA series, um, MotoGP, and Le Mans. Okay, well, that's good. And then uh, I was reading somewhere uh, you might be doing something with IndyCar? Yes, I'm, I'm no longer an exclusive contractor at, uh, at Fox Sports. So last year, NBC, who used Lee Diffie for both Formula One and IndyCar, chose to put him on IndyCar full-time. And when it conflicted with Formula One, Fox was kind enough to release me to go work for NBC, getting the band back together, as it were, with David Hobbs and Steve Matchett and Will Buxton. And and I did three races, and it was great fun. Well, this year, NBC's decided to put Lee full-time on Formula One, so they needed somebody to work the IndyCar side of the street during any, any conflict weekend. So there are five of those weekends, and I'm going to work three of them. Are you going to beat the uh, St. Pete Grand Prix? I will not. That's an ABC race. When the NBC schedule begins, my first race will be NBC Sports broadcast uh, coverage of... Um, Carburation Day at uh, the Indianapolis Motor Speedway on the 500 weekend, which I'm pretty excited about. 
I will also do the uh, the Pocono IndyCar race in July, and the Toronto doubleheader weekend, which I believe is also in in July. So it's good fun. I just came back from the preseason test at Barber Motorsports Park, which sadly was drizzly and cold for most of the of the two days, but they did get some running in. And uh, it was good to see those guys again because I covered Champ Car in its previous iteration uh, in the late 90s and early part of the 2000s. And uh, a lot of those folks are still there, so it was good to see them. Hmm. Um, what about, uh, is it the, the track, the F1 track in in Texas? Is it Circuit de, Circuit de Americas? Is that it? Did That's I say it. that right? Circuit of the Americas, yes. Okay. Are you going to be covering that this year? Uh, I will for... Um, for uh, sports cars, I won't be there for the Formula One weekend, I don't believe. Um, that's a big weekend for NBC, obviously, so they'll be all hands on deck for Formula One. But we'll be there when the Tudor United Sports Car Championship visits. What about the, um, wasn't there some discussion once about bringing the Australian, kind of like the, the Deutsche Tourmeisterschaft, you know, the, 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 the oh, what do they call it? You know, kind of like the... DPM? Yes. Weren't they going to bring that to the United States? There has been talk about that, and um, from time to time you'll see a press release which says that the folks from Daytona Beach, the IMSA people, are working with the ACO and the DTM, and they're, they're talking about developing a DTM style of racing to bring to the United States or perhaps even create a bit of a world championship. But I don't know where that stands right now. It's certainly at least a couple of years away and, and will depend on manufacturer interest, I'm sure. Um, but, you know, that also might be enticing to the folks with the V8 supercars down in Australia, That's it, which yeah. is a terrific show. The DTM itself in Germany and wherever else they go is certainly a terrific show. So if we could get some of that action over here, that'd be great for the fans as well. Wow. Well, Bob, we're just about out of time. Real quick, are you going to stay with motorsports? Do you think you might? Because I know you did uh, the Tour de France one time and you covered mm-hmm. some runs and stuff like that. Uh, are there other other things in the works for you? Well, if I if I could have my cake and eat it too, yes, I'd, I'd love to do some of this stuff I used to do both uh, with Fox and before that with ESPN. You never know. Uh, I'm always kind of looking around. You got to be uh, as useful as possible. Okay. So uh, so hopefully yes, but uh, right now there's nothing planned. All right. And if somebody wants to get a hold of you, I I, I noticed you had a tweet thing. But if you want to you know uh, promote yourself here a little bit, go ahead and do that. If people want to follow you a little bit, how yeah. do they? I mean, I've, I've got a Twitter handle. I'm at, at Bob Varsha. Real easy to find, and uh, I'm usually pretty active on it, and I'm glad to answer anybody's questions. So, uh, yeah, by all means, uh, look for me on there. Okay. Well, super. Well, anyway, well, we're just about out of time, ladies and gentlemen. I want to thank everybody for tuning in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. I want to thank my special guest for the evening, Bob Varsha. Bob, chances are I'll see you at some of the races somewhere. And, us, uh, Alan, you want to go ahead and kick your uh, your uh, car show and car gear here? Right, and, yeah. Show and shine under the oaks this Saturday. Presbyterian Church, Dunedin. Did I get, did I get that right? No, I don't. St. Andrew's Presbyterian Church in Dundee in 75, Michigan. you got to put your glasses on, Alan. Yeah, I know, yeah. <laughs> and anyway, it's 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. this Saturday. Show up. They're going to start up their alcohol dragster so you can hear that make noise and uh-huh. a lot of people there. And see you there. Okay, super. All right, hey, don't forget, National Muscle Car Nationals at Bradenton Motorsports. Bubba's East Coast Rods and Custom in uh, Jupiter. Bill Proof at Don Garlitz. Hey, I'm your show host, Robert. You're tuned into Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Be sure to check out our website, GulfstreamMotorsports.com. If you missed any of our past shows, don't forget to check out Nostalgic Radio and Cars, our podcast. Don't forget to like us on Facebook. I want to see everybody at some of these events. There's a lot of car stuff going on. In the meantime, stay safe, drive carefully, 
Love your family and take care, everybody. Telling tales out of school, but there's a feller in there who'll pay you $10 if you sing into his can. Downtown Dave. I'm not here to make a record, you dumb cracker. It broadcast me out on the radio. WTAN, Clearwater, Tampa Bay. WDCF, Dade City, Tampa Bay. WZHR, Zephyr Hills, Tampa Bay. Listen. You dumb cracker.